just a few minutes, I'm going to go to the Word of God as the Lord has redirected me from where I had originally planned to go. But before I do, I want to take a few moments and share with you. You're my church family. I take my church family relationship very seriously. Uh, I don't mind to tell you I'm, I'm closer to uh, many of you here than I am some of my earthly family members. And I think that's just what happens in the body of Christ. But I want to say that I regret some of my comments from last Sunday's message. I want you to indulge me for a few moments. And I want to say to you publicly that I am sorry to have offended any or many of you. I do believe that as a shepherd, that there are times that social issues need to be addressed in accordance with the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. However, these have to be done carefully. And last Sunday, I wasn't very careful. In my effort to promote blessing and protecting the church, the children rather, of our church and community, I wandered into the murky waters of gun control and my passionate opinion. Admittedly, the tragic events of Uvalde affected me emotionally along with the needs of some of our kids here. Through my human filter came some bias that truthfully should not have come from the pulpit. Furthermore, it was wrong of me to judge the depth of anyone's salvation or commitment if they disagreed with my passionate perspective. So the Spirit of God dealt with my heart this week. And I am in daily evaluation of my words, my thoughts, my actions, my attitude. And I can say that several, if not all, of these areas were thrown off last week. So I apologize for the offense. And I ask forgiveness from those that I have offended and from my church family at large. When I tell you that I covet your prayers week in and week out, I say it with sincerity because I always want to represent the gospel in the way that would be pleasing to Jesus Christ. I love you in the Lord for sure. So thank you. Thank you for hearing me out. And, and let me just ask you to wave at me if you'll grant your pastor some grace today. Would you do that? I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Now let's pray. Father, we come before you today. I do believe, God, that you have redirected my steps for this morning. I do believe that we're under a divine directive of heaven. And so I pray right now that the Spirit of God would lead me, guide me, direct me. And then, Lord, every, every heart would receive today and every ear would hear what the Spirit wants to say to the church. 
Lord, I pray if there's one person here that needs to have an encounter with Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be that day. We give you glory and honor and praise for these blessings, and we ask it all in Jesus' precious, wonderful, and powerful name. And the church said, amen. There is forgiveness with Jesus. It is one of the greatest promises that is found in the Holy Bible. It is for sure the most liberating promise that any soul can hear and embrace. In Psalms chapter 130, The psalmist asked the question, if God would mark iniquity, who would be able to stand? But then after that sobering question, he followed up by writing these words, but there is forgiveness with God. Oh, you ought to do better now, but there is forgiveness with God. With the help of the Holy Spirit, it will be my intent and focus today to convince you that no matter what baggage, what stuff, what guilt, what shame that you brought into this church this morning, Jesus Christ wants to dismiss the case of sin that is against you. Amen. Amen. Have you ever wondered why lost people have anxiety or apprehension about coming to church? Oh, they give us all kinds of reasons under the sun. They tell us that the church is made up of this, and and I don't need church. I can just have my own walk with God. And and but deep down, I imagine if you wanted to find some answers, true answers as to why. Lost people have anxiety or apprehension about coming to church. You could find your answers in John chapter 8. From John chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, it says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him. And he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in, um, in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that each should be stoned, but what sayest thou, or what do you say? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger he wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued uh, asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? 
She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. The question I asked this morning is that, is who did the woman find in the church? Who did the woman find in the church? Well, obviously, she found first and foremost the jeering scribes and the Pharisees who had found her literally in the bed of adultery and had brought her to be stoned for her actions. We could say they were temple police or church police. And I guarantee you there's still temple and church police in the 21st century. There might be one or two at Pulaski Church of God. But they were clearly condescending. They were clearly pride-filled. They were clearly arrogant. They did not consider their own hearts filled with sin, legalism, and the laws of man. They made it impossible for this woman to find peace and restoration. That seemed to be the first group because that was the group of people that literally brought her into the temple. That wasn't the only group of people she found. No doubt she found uh, people, regular people, that had come to church that day, uh, attenders of the temple, just like you, good, wholesome folks who, who loved God, who loved to hear Jesus teach. And when they saw her being drug in by this group of religious people, no doubt they felt sorry for her. No doubt they, were, they, they had pity for her because she had been drug in by the religious hierarchy. And so you had the group of religious leaders, and then, and then you had the good, wholesome folks that just, just love going to church, that just love hearing the Word of God, that just want to serve the Lord and just hear the Torah and hear the Word of God and hear the things that will help them to live a better life. And then, of course, I'm, I'm sure there were some there that were the, the, good, the good town gossips, Oh, uh, yeah, they were probably uh, one or two of those in the temple that day who, who think they're kind of doing everybody a favor by keeping the informed informed. I mean, outside of the bar in the barbershop, some believe the best place to get a good story is down at the local church. <laughs> there was all kinds of makeup of different people in the church that day. But most importantly, what I want you to know is the woman found Jesus in the church. That's the most important thing I can say to you is that the woman found Jesus in the church. And can I say today, if you committed adultery or fornication this week, Jesus is in the church. Can I tell you today, if you got drunk this week, Jesus is in the church. Can I tell you, if you lied or you swore or you cursed, Jesus is in the church. Can I tell you, if you slandered or have been malicious toward a Christian or an unbeliever, Jesus is in the church. Can I tell you, if you open that porn site up on your computer or your handheld device, can I tell you, Jesus is in the church. Can I tell you, if the temper got the best of you once, twice, three times, or even more, can I tell you, Jesus is in the church today. Can I tell you, if you abused your wife or you neglected your husband, Jesus is in the church today. The absolute most important thing to know today is that no matter what you brought with you, you can leave it with Jesus, for Jesus is in the church today. Hallelujah. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. The 
Bible says, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great things which you did not know. The word says, cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. I'm telling you, if you leave this place and you can't describe our choir, it's okay. If you leave this place and you have no opinion on the preaching one way or the other, it's fine. If you leave today and you can't give a true evaluation on how friendly the people are, but it, it's okay. But if you leave and you cannot describe what an encounter with Jesus is like, the church will have let you down. When it's all said and done, we're all about promoting Jesus, the Son of the living God. And he said, if I, the Son of Man, be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Thanks be unto God. Jesus Christ is in the house. Hallelujah. Well, what did the woman find in Jesus? What did the woman find in Jesus? Here she was trembling, possibly half clad or even worse, since she was caught in the very act of adultery. Here she was consumed with guilt and afraid. And I believe suddenly was sorrow filled. Fear had gripped her heart because she knew what the law would say about her and to her. And here she is. She is now thrust down at the feet of Jesus. She sees Jesus. Now this is what she knew about Jesus. This Jesus was a well-respected rabbi. Maybe she thought he was a religious leader. Maybe when she was thrust at his feet, she may have even pondered that he might have been another Pharisee. And so her seal, her, her fate is sealed. She is doomed. She's no doubt thinking in her mind that she, he's going to go along with the request to stone her. After all, it is according to the Old Testament law. So I imagine fear got a hold of her because she felt like at any moment she was facing imminent execution. This is what she thought she knew about Jesus. But this is what she didn't know about Jesus. The first thing I want you to know that she didn't know is that Jesus defends people. Hallelujah. I said Jesus defends people. I'm telling you today, the judge would leave the judge's bench to be her defense attorney. He would stand for her, reputation notwithstanding. He had created her. He loved her. And even more importantly than his defense before the people in the temple was his defense before the heavenly father. Let me say it again. I'm so thankful that Jesus defends people all throughout the Bible. Just a few examples. Jesus defended little children. He said, if you ever harm a little child that are precious to me, it would be better that a boulder be tied around your neck and you be thrown into the depths of the sea. In other words, I don't want to see you emerge after you've submerged if you're going to be harmful to one of these little kids because he defended children. He defended 
friend in Mary of Bethany who took a pound of spikenard and she anointed the Lord's feet with her hair. I'm telling you, he defends the true worshiper. I, I would love to spend some time right there and talk a little bit more. You've got all kinds of reasons to worship the Lord. You've got all kinds of reasons to praise the Lord. The Bible says the Father looks for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And there's not a greater worshiper pointed out in the Gospels than Mary of Bethany, who took the most costly ointment and poured it over the head and down the body of Jesus as an act of worship and adoration. I'm telling you, if you become a worshiper, you become a praiser, I'm telling you there's something about the defensive mechanism inside of our Lord that rises up and says, I'm going to go to bat for them because they're giving me their highest worship and their highest praise. Jesus also defended the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. He deflected. He said, I'm the one that you're looking for, not these that are within me. He is a defender of the weak. I'm telling you, if you hurt the fatherless, if you hurt an orphan child, you have put yourself squarely in the crosshairs of Jesus Christ, and it's not for a good thing. If you hurt the widow, you have put yourself in the crosshairs of, of Jesus, and it is not for a good thing. What I'm telling you is that Jesus is a defender. That day he left the judge's bench, his place of authority. He stepped off of it and walked down and stood beside her and defended her. And I'm telling you, I'm grateful that he defends us in the temple. Hallelujah. I said, I'm grateful that, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. I said, I'm thankful that he defends us in the temple. He defends us amongst those that accuse us. He, he defends us among those that assassinate us. He defends us to those in the, from the world and those within the temple. But most importantly, he defends us to our heavenly father. Well, praise the Lord. The Bible says that he, that the Holy Father is full of love just like Jesus is. But he's also a righteous father. And he must execute judgment. And he must execute justice. And I'm telling you, this Jesus stands in your behalf and by your Well, praise the Lord. Somebody ought to give a shout of praise. I'm telling you right now that Jesus is praying for you today. You don't know how you're going to fix the situation. You don't know how you're going to face the situation. But I'm telling you, while you're begging and pleading God for an answer here, Jesus, the Son of the living God, is defending you and praying for you. Thank God he defends his own. Praise the Lord. Something else she did not know was that Jesus also serves as a liberating jury. This man would leave the judge's bench and he would serve as her jury. Even though the evidence was stacked against her and even though she was guilty, he would set her guilt aside and he would proclaim her innocent and he would set her free. Hallelujah. I said he would set her free. When Jesus sets you free, all of the ones that want to pile on and accuse, they have to leave one by one because you're not living in their freedom. You're living in the freedom of the Son of God. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to say that I'm free. 
It's one thing for you to tell me I'm free, but take off my cuffs. If you're going to tell me I'm free, then take off my cuffs. Loosen my shackles. Let me out of the prison bars of my own making and let me see freedom. I can tell you that you are free, but my actions towards you may leave you feeling like you're still in shackles and bands and you're still in prison bars. Amen. Amen. But when Jesus sets you free, when Jesus the jury sets you free, there are no more shackles. There are no more cuffs. There are no more chains. All bands are torn asunder. It was in the same chapter that he declared, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Hallelujah. I feel the preacher coming on. If you're in prison to anyone today, it's because you choose to stay there. Hello? If the sun has set you free, you don't have to be in prison to nobody. <laughs> An old song says, once like a bird in prison I dwelt, no freedom from my sorrow I felt. But then Jesus came and listened to me, and glory to God, he set me free. That's why Paul would say, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. So the judge left the judge's bench to become her defender, and the judge left the judge's bench to become her jury. But something else she didn't know about this man, he wasn't just willing to be her defender and to be her liberating jury, he agreed to be her penalty. Hallelujah. <laughs> he agreed to be her penalty. The scripture calls it propitiation, which means substitution. In Romans 3.25, it says that Jesus is the, is the propitiation when we have faith in his blood. 1 John 2.2 tells us that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why could he say? Why could he say? Neither do I condemn thee. Why could he say it? I tell you why. Because from the foundation of the world, in history past and into the future, until the very last soul walks into the portals of glory, until the last soul kneels and asks Jesus to come into their heart before he splits the eastern sky, he paid the price on Golgotha. He paid it for past, he paid it for future, and that day he was saying, I've paid the price for you. I am the judge. I have the authority to be the judge, but I'm willing to lay a claw aside my judge's robes and go and climb up on a cross and say, by my shed blood, you can be set free. 
That's why I can boldly say, if you come to Jesus, he's the only one who will gladly say, your case is dismissed. God loves you, and I love you too. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. All the while, he's defending her and releasing her and being her penalty. He never relinquished the authority as her judge. In fact, because he did what he did, it just validated his authority as judge. Leaving her free, but without excuse. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. I know we're in a cheap grace culture, but don't miss that. Holy Ghost, help me here. I renounce cheap grace culture. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, And said, how shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can anyone that is dead to sin live any longer therein? So this is a proper defense in Jesus. This is a proper freedom in Jesus. This is an awesome substitute. And Jesus, in just a a few weeks, few months, he was going to die on her cross to pay for her adultery. But it left her without an excuse when standing before him in the end. No excuse for her. No excuse for us. Hello? Hello? And that's why he would say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. What did she find in the temple? What did she discover in Jesus? What will you find in this church? Whether you have a loaded history of evil or you have just lied one time in your whole lifetime, you're still a sinner. But you're in a church that is determined to love like God, serve like Jesus, and impact with the Holy Spirit. This church today in this room wants you to know that this atmosphere was created so you would know that Jesus wants to dismiss your case and tell you that he loves you. No matter your gender, your age, your occupation, your case is dismissed by surrendering to the Lord. Matters not whether you live in a mansion or there is no roof over your head currently. He loves you and wants to say, case dismissed. And your heart 
It is irrelevant if you have never been in church before today or you're one of those people like me that have ridden the altar 500 times when God has convicted and dealt with your heart. Friend, make the first trip or the 501st trip. He will give you freedom that will change you forever. Thank you, Holy Spirit. There's always a need to be refreshed. (laughs) We don't do it near as often as we should. Refreshing ourselves on what the mission of Jesus was. It wasn't to preach. It wasn't to teach. It wasn't to heal. It wasn't to raise the dead. Oh, I rejoice over all of those things. But he had, he had a primary mission, a singular focus. And it was very simple, Luke 19.10. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if that was the primary drive of Jesus, shouldn't that be the primary drive of the church? This phrase caught me several years ago, and I've mentioned it since I've been here, but it, it, it just it, it messes with my perspective sometime. And it simply says, the church is primarily for those who haven't come yet. Now, if you've been a part of this church for... Uh, Years and decades and decades, and that may be a little burr in your saddle. Well, bless God, they don't know how much I've given to this church. They don't know how many times I've served in this church, all the years I've put it. But the primary mission of Jesus, as long as there are empty seats to your left and right and in front and behind you, we haven't fulfilled our mission yet. My pastor used to tell me, simple as this, we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find some bread. That's what we are. This is a very human vessel here, emotional creature. I think I'm getting more sappy as I get older. came across this this week, and it, again, another sobering thought. It was F.B. Meyer, a preacher of years past, and he made this statement. It's a terrible thing for sinners to fall into the hands of fellow sinners. All church people are Christians, aren't they? You think? Are there sinners in the house of God? Are there sinners that come to church week after week? I'm afraid there are. 
Today, it's not about me. It's not about the one to your left and right. It is you and a very, very compassionate Jesus who wants to dismiss the case of sin against you. How, preacher? First John 1 John 1.9. I can't say it any better than you can read it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. There is true forgiveness with Jesus. Would you bow your heads? Lord, they're here. You know that I had planned. My plans are not your plans. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are so much higher than my ways. I had planned to go a different direction. But Holy Spirit, you just wanted me to tell, if it not but one soul in the house, that there is forgiveness with Jesus. There is, my God, my God. In one moment, when you humble yourself before him and say, Jesus, I've come to say I'm sorry for that sin last week, last month. I'm sorry for the life of sin that I've been living I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Not to a preacher. Not to a, someone that may be a friend that's praying with you, but just you and Jesus. Nobody's going to ask you what your baggage is. It's none of nobody's business. But you say, I'm just going to, I'm just going to come and I'm going to kneel. I'm just going to kneel. I'm just going to humble myself and say, Jesus, will you forgive me? The Bible says he'll take that sin. He'll throw it behind his back. He'll never remember it again. The Bible says he'll, he'll take your sins and throw them into the depths of the deepest body of water. The scripture says he'll throw it as far as the east is from the west. <laughs> He's such a compassionate Lord. He's your defender. He's your acquitting jury. He's even gone so far as to be your substitute, your sacrificial lamb. He went to the cross for you. While no one's looking around, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you if you're a believer or an unbeliever. I'm just going to ask you, do you need forgiveness from Jesus today? 
would you get up from where you are and come and, and kneel if you're able. If you're not able to kneel, then come and stand. Anybody, anybody in the house, 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 anybody. Look at this. I mean, it's just, there's others. Let's be honest. Be honest today. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. Somebody's going to come and get in your ear and say, hey, what is it you're up here for? No, we're not doing that. This is between you and the Lord. But he wants to, wants to come defend you. He wants to come liberate you from that that's nagging you. He wants to come. He wants to come and remind you again that he paid the price. Is there others? Preacher, I've had an ought against somebody. I've got some bitterness in my heart. I'm telling you, you need forgiveness. You need forgiveness. You may come and you say, Jesus, forgive me, and then he's liable to tell you to go, go to that person. He will tell you to go to that person. Come on, there's still more. There's still more. There's still more. There's still more. Now no condemnation. You came in and that thing was nagging you in your mind and in your heart. And now you're going to leave it here and you're going to walk out and have a beautiful Sunday afternoon and a great week because you put it under the blood. <laughs> and you left it you left it in the house of God she walked out that day a free woman a free woman <clears throat> Lord touch your people today that have come Touch your people that have come today. Touch your people, Lord. Said, I don't have it all together. Today, there's a little something that I need to lay down at the feet of the Lord. Something going on with a coworker, something going on in the family. I know it's going to take me humbling myself. I'm willing, Lord. I'm willing to do that. Lord, touch him today. Lord, touch him today.